if you're a member of the LGBT community, I think that's a good question. Do you want to go back to what the Roman world was, where we had a sex trade that was legal, that that had gladiatorial games, that had people crucified? You had incredible immorality. Oh, yes. Right? Sodom and Gomorrah. What does the Bible teach about homosexuality and LGBT? Appropriate question because it's Pride Month. Uh, I hate calling it that, but mm-hmm. you know that's that's the uh, uh, the title people are using today. Um, but you know what does the Bible actually teach? I think this is an important topic because when I grew up in the church and, and you know studied the Bible, just read the Bible, I felt like I got a certain impression of what the Bible actually teaches. Uh, I think the Bible's pretty clear about it. It seems to say certain things about uh, the homosexual lifestyle. Right. And uh, and so we see people in today's culture actually making this shift where they are trying to say that uh, not only is this lifestyle okay, but it's permissible in the eyes of God. And there's literally nothing wrong with it. Um so I, I just thought maybe we should discuss that, take a look at what the what the, the Bible actually says right. about the topic and and talk about some of the things that the other side is saying. Because they're they're saying that these scripture passages uh mean a certain thing. So maybe maybe you've heard some of these things before, maybe you've heard some of these teachings. Um we're gonna take a look at it right now. So uh, the first passage that we need to take a look at is Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, which I think, Dawn, is pretty straightforward. Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on this, my friend? Do you feel like this is kind of straightforward? or Actually, I mean, it's, it goes right to the heart of what uh, we're talking about. The other thing is, is when you get in Genesis and it says that God created man from the ground, and then he took the rib out of man and created Eve out of that. Yeah. So there's only Adam, there's only Eve, there's only man, there's only woman. I don't see no middle ground at all, at all in the Bible for that. And for me, that Genesis, I know there's other scriptures, but yeah. that Genesis right there, like, hits you right in the face. That's it. Right, there's right. no in-between. Yeah. Well, there, there, there is also a scripture from uh, Deuteronomy, too, and I don't have this one queued up, but, uh, but it says, The woman shall not wear that which, per- the, which uh, clo- the clothing that, that pertains to a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. So, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, so one of the things I think is interesting is that you see this issue of, uh, I guess, LGBT, uh, you know, that, that thing today, it means lesbian, bisexual, um, Let's see, LGBT, lesbian, bisexual, LG, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. So, so it's it's there's multiple layers to this. Oh, you, you've got you've got not just the same sex attraction thing, but you've also got actually dressing up like the opposite sex. So, in the law, that what they call the Torah in Old Testament mm-hmm. times, it not only does it specifically say or seem to specifically say like you like you mentioned on right pretty clearly, it seems to say that. That, that you shouldn't be in same-sex relationships, right. sexual relationships. I mean, it seems to, uh, the Bible seems to clearly give some kind of guidelines there in regard to uh, sex as God designed it. But on top of that, you, you also see that 
that men shouldn't dress up like women and women shouldn't dress up like men. Now, an extreme version of that would be a transgender person, right? Right. That's that's an extreme yeah. form where a person not only a man is not only dressing up like a woman, but a man is is literally um, taking their body and, and cutting their body and mutilating it to become the opposite sex. So right. so not just putting on the garments, but literally changing themselves. So, so, you know, it, it seems like, um, I'm kind of reminded of Ecclesiastes where it says there's nothing new under the sun, right? Because that a lot of times, like we look at culture and we, we think, oh my gosh, there's all this crazy stuff going on today. But really when you look at human history and depraved human nature and the stuff that we do, that people are capable of, it really, there is nothing new under the sun. No. And so you see it all the way back, Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Deuteronomy, which were written 1,500 years before Jesus, so some 3,500 years ago they were written. Right. You see these same issues that we're dealing with in our culture. And so I just think that's a good, that's a good thing to take note of because the Bible does actually talk about uh, cross-dressing. Mm-hmm. It talks about transgender. Uh, it talks about uh, men... Uh, lying with or having sex with men and women having sex with women. Right. So, so this is one of the one of the passages here that we read. Um, I will show you one of the other passages here, and that is First Corinthians chapter six. All right, Don. I don't know if you would know this, but typically these passages of scripture are referred to as clobber passages. Oh, really? Because uh, people in our contemporary world mm-hmm. uh, are said by that side, by affirming churches to be clobbering people like with a, Oh, so with, they're beating them over uh, the so head. They're, they're, so yeah. To they're, speak. they're beating them over the head with this. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So uh, allegedly I, I don't agree with that. I mean, right. I, I think certainly people can clobber that you can spiritually clobber someone else, but well, the truth is truth. Yeah. I mean, right, right. if you're going to tell somebody the truth, see, here's the thing of it. When you truly care for a person, you're going to tell them the truth. You're not going to lie to them. I mean, if you're standing here, Pastor, and your face is all dirty, and you say, how do I look? Don't I look good? And I'll say, and if I'm going to be a true friend to you, I'm going to say, no, you got dirt on your cheek, you got dirt on your chair, whatever, you know, and I'm going to try to be the best friend I can be. And sometimes friendship is hard because you have to tell the person the truth. You can't lie to them. And see, that's what we're doing here. We're not trying to muddy the waters yeah, we're not trying yeah. to ruin anything we're just trying to bring out the truth that the truth should be out in the world and what are we doing it for for yeah, love right right yeah and that's what christ wants yeah i agree with you brother 100 percent. you know i mean so in that regard in first corinthians chapter six we we see this or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of god do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. So you see this passage, a kind of a, a sister passage that goes along with this is First Timothy chapter one. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels the ungodly, the sinful, the unholy, the irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those who practice homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, 
that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. So uh, there's there's a couple more. And um, I, in my mind's eye, again, you know, the, these seem to be str- pretty straightforward. Oh, Don. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's saying like homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is how some of the other side affirming churches, affirming pastors, an affirming church or an affirming pastor, just somebody who uh, affirms the LGBT community and says, basically, it's okay to be gay. Right. It's okay to live that lifestyle. That's what they say. Uh, um, and, and of course, you've already said this, and I, I want to say the same thing, but that we're not, we would never bully somebody intentionally, um, right. make them feel bad about who they are or who, or who you are. This is really all about what does the Bible teach about this topic? Hey there, I've got a question for you. Have you subscribed to this channel yet? If not, you need to do it right now and turn on those notifications so that you don't miss any of my content. In addition, you can have access to the full-length, unedited version of this video by going to PastorAJ.com and becoming a channel member for as little as $7 a month. You can partner with Gospel Ministries and help us to continue to produce this kind of content and share the gospel with those who need it. And so, you know, these passages that we just read, they seem to be pretty clear, I think. Right. Uh, so this is, a, this is an article here about that subject and what people, what, what the other side says about it. This is a queer grace of, of all things. Oh queer boy. grace. Queer grace. Wow. So I'll, uh, I'll put a link to this in the description if you'd like to actually look at this article, but never heard of it. First Corinthians chapter six, verses one through 11 urges the Christians of Corinth not to sue each other in secular courts. Paul, Paul also asks why legal disputes among believers cannot be settled internally. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it says, uh, in this sin list that he mentions, he includes the term Malakoi and, uh, our, Arsenkotai, arsen, arsen, arsenikoitai. <laughs> I got to brush up on my Greek. I think it's arsenikoitai. The meaning of these words is contested, and we will explore below. But in modern times, they have frequently been interpreted to refer to men who engage in homosexual acts. Now, uh, this is important because what this person is suggesting, mm-hmm. just just in what we read so far in this article. What this person is suggesting is that it is that these terms are contested in the Greek, the ones that we just read, arsenikoitai right. and malakoi. These terms are contested, meaning that like they don't just have a straightforward value the way that we take them to mean today. All right. Okay. So now, now don't forget that we're just dealing with First Corinthians and First Timothy right now. So we're just dealing with these two passages right now. We're not dealing with Romans chapter one. We're not dealing with uh, Leviticus or Deuteronomy, where it says, don't dress up like a woman. Right. We're just dealing with these two passages. But, you know, so, so you know, he gets into what do these words mean? Malakoi. The term malakoi is found in many ancient Greek writings, most often to condemn male behavior that the writer perceives as feminine. For instance, the term is used to describe men who cannot tolerate hard labor, who overindulge in luxuries, who fight poorly in battle, or who study excessively. In short, it, it means men who partake of some aspect of femininity. And in the ancient Greek world, to be feminine or female 
was to be second class, a man who willingly engaged in feminine activities, including studying too much, was condemned. Okay. Early translations of the Bible generally gave malakoi a meaning that was responsibly, reasonably close to the Greek intention denoting weakness and effeminacy. The well-known King James Version translated it as effeminate. Maybe you've heard that translation before. I, I have. And the New American Standard mentions that translation. Starting in the mid-20th century, however, the translation of Malakoy abruptly took a much narrower focus, referring specifically to sexual behavior. In these more recent translations, the word is rendered as either a male prostitute. Okay, now this is a little different. A male prostitute right. isn't necessarily the same as two consenting homosexuals. Right, right. Who right. Are, and, and obviously, like, we would say both are sin, <laughs> obviously. Um, but what what they're 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 just saying that there's a difference okay so um this shift that took place okay the, it says the niv combines our senakoitai and malakoi and translates both together as men who have sex with men this shift ignores the diverse contexts in which malakoi is used in ancient greek texts including some in which the men to whom it applied are using makeup, jewelry, or perfume to make themselves more attractive to potential female sexual partners. Arsenikoitai, the word arsenikoitai appears in no text dated earlier than 1 Corinthians. Subsequent uses of the word in Greek text refer, refer back to 1 Corinthians, nearly always appear in lengthy sin lists and supply little additional context to clarify the word's definition. So basically they're saying that like, we, we really don't know what these words mean is what, what they're getting at, specifically this word. It may, have been give, uh, it may have been of Paul's own coinage, and then they're saying Paul might have created it, combining the word arson, meaning male, and koites, meaning bed, all right? So to lie in bed with a male. Greek words did not exist to describe men, and I, I feel like this is a little debatable here. Oh, excuse me, Greek words did exist to describe. Okay, they're saying Greek words did exist, but Paul chooses not to use these words that did exist, and it may imply that he meant something different by arsenikoitai. So what they're saying is that words did exist for homosexual behavior, mm -hmm. uh, but Paul chose not to use these words. So biblical translators have typically guessed from the two root words that combine to make arsenikoitai and reach the conclusion that the word denotes homosexual behavior. All that to say that Paul's talking about homosexual behavior here. Okay. Then he goes on to say, sex between men in the Roman Empire. Most historians agree that the modern concepts of homosexuality and heterosexuality did not exist in the Roman Empire. Sexual behavior did form a vital part of norms that governed Roman men and women, but the framework for such accepted sexual behavior was dramatically different, focusing more on power dynamics than on gender. Freeborn Roman men could have male sexual partners without incurring societal condemnation if it was the right type of sex with the right type of partner. <laughs> okay. Uh, to be penetrated was was the place of a woman or a slave. To penetrate was the role of a freeborn man. Sex between freeborn Roman men was condemned because it 
detracted from a man's masculinity to be penetrated sexually, where Greek culture sanctioned pederasty as a cultural good, the Romans believed that young men would become more feminine if they became accustomed to penetrative sex in their youth. However, Roman writers seem to take for granted that freeborn Roman men would pursue both male and female sexual partners from the acceptable status of society, i.e. slaves. A, a free Roman man's masculinity was not compromised by sex with a male slave any more than it was compromised by sex with a male slave with a male slave, compromised by sex with a male slave. And I'm not sure if that's a typo or not, any more than it was compromised by sex with a male I mean, I think they mean to say female slave versus male slave. Mm -hmm. The gender of the partner mattered to the one penetrated. Male slaves were more like women precisely because they were available for penetration in sex. The masculinity of free men asserted itself, asserted itself in what they did sexually not which gender they did it with. So the conclusion is that even in Bible verses whose translations are less hotly debated than 1 Corinthians 6, it is counterproductive to bring modern, uh, modern assumptions. Now, by modern assumptions, what they mean is our, what they're suggesting is that it's our modern assumption that Paul is referring to homosexual behavior in these passages, but that that wasn't his original meaning, Okay. All right. Uh, modern assumptions to the consideration of gender and sexual norms in antiquity. While it's certainly possible that Paul opposed sex between men in all contexts, the uncertainty of the meaning of arsenikoitai and dramatically different understandings Romans had of behaviors the modern reader understands as heterosexual argue against reading 1 Corinthians 6 as a blanket condemnation of homosexuality. Okay, so all of that to say, <laughs> all of that to showcase how uh, some today are actually questioning the, the meaning, the inherent meaning of what 1 Corinthians 6 right. is talking about. Now, one of the things that people are actually suggesting this word refers to is this act of men who had money to actually take on young boys as slaves that this this just the act of basically this the sex slave trade basically that okay right that's that's okay. what they're suggesting paul is referring to here and that's possible because <laughs> when you look how even today yeah how many young boys and young girls and i'm talking young i'm talking like 10 years old or younger that, they, that they're actually pushing into sex slaves. Yeah. And I mean, it's happening all over the world. Right, right. And I mean, it's nothing new under the sun, like the Bible said. And I truly believe, you know, I have nothing to base this on. But to me, if you're a man of power and a man of money, you don't think that you would get a sex slave, either male or female, and that's all you would use them for. Right, it's just right. that. Plus, how many women were married to these men? I mean, 20, 30 40 women were married. I mean, I just, I, I, I don't get it. Yeah, I, there's never a, ordained there's it a couple either. of things I think we can say about it, okay? And, and, and number one is understanding the other side and where they're coming from. They are intentionally trying to question 
what the Bible says exactly. about these issues because they want to live this lifestyle. So mm-hmm. there's definitely uh, there's definitely a motivation. They're muddy in the water behind interpreting the Bible this way, right. right? I mean, so we can. I think I think that that's fairly clear. So so there is that. Is it possible that Paul in First Corinthians chapter six, with this word that we apparently don't see in other places, is it possible that he means and is referring just to the sex slave trade? It, I mean, it's it's possible. Mm-hmm except that he uses two different words in the passage. You know, one where he's talking about apparently effeminate behavior. The other one seems to be taking two words, man and bed, uh, laying, uh, laying with, which would seem to me to be translated as a lying with a man in bed. Right. Similar to the concept that you see in, in Deuteronomy and in Leviticus. He seems to be talking about this concept. So, um, so, so to me, when I look at these passages, again, we're back to why would we want to question them the way they stand. I think because there's a motivation behind it. But secondly, they, the other thing that they do is they continually reference behavior in the Roman world. Mm-hmm. So we're not just talking about, we're not just talking about now, what does the Bible teach? But we're talking about what was accepted behavior in the Roman world. And even in this article here, which is talking about accepted versus non-accepted behavior in the Roman world, as Christians, we're not supposed to look at the way the world behaves. That's right. And even in ancient times, you had incredible immorality. Oh, yes. Right? Sodom and Gomorrah. Hey, there's one more thing I've got to share with you. I want you to know that you know Jesus and that you will one day be resurrected and spend an eternity with him. The Bible says that all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That all you need to do is confess Jesus with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So just say this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner and I need a savior. I believe that you died for my sins and that you were raised to life three days later. Make me born again in my heart through the power of your Holy Spirit and help me to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that prayer, you are saved. Now go get yourself a Bible so that you can begin to develop godly habits in your life and make sure to join a Bible-believing local church where you can be baptized as an outward symbol of what God just did in your heart. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, send us a message and we'll get one to you. Welcome to the family, friend. 